Chapter 11 Ninanaba The Anai Come Back to Tzithachin, Black Mesa In preparation for leaving her summer home, Ninanaba went out to search the western horizon for Dok Ooslid, the San Francisco peaks, their mountain to the west. She prayed to the Creator, asking for guidance, strength, and perseverance. She remembered the stories her husband told his children in the winter evenings when it was very cold outside, but warm inside their Horan. Nananabat smiled when she remembered being surrounded by her children and the man she loved. The ones they fight with, white soldiers, do not have a heart. How could we leave our land? The mountains protect us as we live among them. The mountains know us. Ninanabat remembered hearing her husband say, We also know them, Ninanabat sadly whispered as she stood watching the sun throw his blanket over their mountain of the west, covering it with a golden peach glow. While Ninanabat watched the sun greet the western horizon, the color of her mountain turned from a beautiful peach color to magenta and then to a deep purple. Even at night her mountain stood tall and powerful. She slowly turned away and made her way back to her Hogan, Hogan where Hashke Yilnaba sat outside sharpening his knife. Chago Shantzinia, where did you go? I was really worried about you. Let's go and feed your goat, he said as he led Nananaba to the sheep corral. Hashkehilnaba made sure the family members took good care of the goat that had saved his wife's life when she was attacked by the Mexican scout. In his hand, he held several blades of a rich green-colored grass that he knew the goat enjoyed. Once at the corral, they called for the goat, fed it the grass, petted it, and talked to it, and thanked it once again for its heroic deed. As they turned to leave, Hashkeyilnapa noticed in the faint light of dusk that the logs that secured the walls on the far side of the sheep corral were falling down. Asking Ninanabat to wait for him, Hashkehilnapa circled the corral. To his horror, he found two Ute scouts hiding behind the corral. Without thinking, he yelled at Ninanabat, telling her to run for safety and to tell the others that the enemies were around. Before he finished speaking, he grabbed one of the long poles that made up the sides of the corral, heaved it up over his head, and threw the log, hitting the two scouts squarely in the back of their heads, 
as they turned to run. The log knocked the Ute scouts off balance and sent them sprawling. Hashkehilnapa caught up with them. He noticed one Ute scout was having trouble crawling up the rocky incline while the other lay on the ground as warm blood began to bubble out of the side of his head. He bent down, picked up a large boulder, lifted it over his head, and threw it toward the scout who was trying to crawl up the rocky incline. The scout lost his footing and came sliding back into the path of the falling boulder. The boulder crushed the scout's head. Hashkehilnapa noticed the two men were near death. He shuddered and looked in the direction of his wife's Hohan, wondering if more scouts were in the vicinity. He decided he would have to count their tracks in the morning to see how many of the enemy Ute scouts were around. He did not want them near his family. As soon as Nananaba heard her husband yell out a warning, she turned and began running, but not far behind her was another Ute scout chasing her. Her heart began to race. In the faint light of dusk, she looked back and saw a long knife glimmering in his hand. Hashkehilnapa saw what was happening. He whistled his loud, air-piercing whistle, to which his youngest son, Egonapa, the one who goes to war at night, reacted by running out of his maternal grandfather's hohan. As Egonapa ran toward the sound of his father's whistle of warning, he noticed the youth scout chasing his mother. He grabbed his bow and arrows, which were just inside the hohan. The Ute scout, like a coward, used Nananaba as a shield when he saw the image of a young man pulling his bow taut. Egonapa caught his breath when he saw the Ute reach for Nananaba's hair that flowed down and out behind her as she ran. The powerful tall enemy reached out to wrap his hands around a thick strand of Nananaba's hair. The tall youth lost his footing and began stumbling, but reached out once again and grabbed a thick strand of Nananabat's hair. Using her hair to steady himself, the scout lifted his knife in the air. Egonapa had only an instant to shoot his arrow at the enemy. He released the bowstring and heard the arrow race through the air and pierce flesh with a deep, sickening thud. With a handful of Nananabat's hair, the Ute scout jerked his hand back, bringing Nananabat down with him as he fell. Egonapa heard his mother scream. Footsteps were heard running toward them. Fear and horror gripped Egonapa's heart when he saw his mother fall. In the faint light, he could not see if his arrow had shot his mother instead of the Ute scout. He looked down, unable to move. All he was aware of in his frozen state were the footsteps of his father as he ran to Nananabat's limp body on the ground. 
he saw his father fall down to his knees beside his mother and heard him talking softly to her. Hashkeh Yilnapa had heard the commotion coming from the direction where his wife had run. As he began running toward her, he took in the scene before him, which seemed to grind down into slow motion. Hashkeh Yilnapa wanted to yell when he saw his youngest son draw his bowstring tight and aim, but he was afraid he would distract his son, who only had seconds to shoot before Nananaba would come between the two men. Hashkeh Yilnapa had watched as the youth reached out and grabbed Nananaba's hair, hoping she would become a shield and take the arrow instead of him. In his other hand, he held a long, shiny knife. The sound of the arrow splitting the pale, dusk-lit night air was drowned out by Nananabot's scream as she was jerked back by the strong force that threw her to the ground. Hashkeh gasped as he saw his wife fall to the ground with a loud thud. When he finally reached her, he heard her groaning. He knelt down to pick her up and spoke softly to her to calm her down. He sensed a heaviness about her and immediately became sick to his stomach. His first thought was that she had been shot by the arrow, but he could not feel the arrow on her body. Ninanabot's father heard the loud sounds and ran outside to find his daughter, his son-in-law, and his grandson in a frozen state. He saw that the youth scout's hand was still clutching his daughter's hair. He reached down and gently unwrapped his daughter's hair and laid it on her chest as he watched his son-in-law gently pick up his daughter and carry her to their Hohan, Hogan. On the ground lay the Ute warrior with an arrow lodged deep in his chest. The Ute still clutched the long knife in his hand. On the blade were torn pieces of buckskin, hair, and some blood. Tlaikonapa was frozen in his tracks. Beside him stood his maternal grandfather, his maternal grandfather placed his hand on his shoulder. Egonapa began to tremble. He kept muttering, Shema, my mother, Shema, my mother. His grandfather hugged and held his grandson. The two stood together without saying a word. Egonapa's grandfather told him, that their father had trained them well. Your father trained you well in the art of warfare. You are a valued warrior, my grandson. At their father's demands, the young warriors were forced to shoot at targets at night in swiftness and within a second's reaction. Egonapa could not take a step toward his mother's Hogan Hogan. 
Instead, in grief, he turned towards his grandfather's Hoan Hogan. Suddenly, Egonapa felt a heavy, warm hand on his shoulder. It was his father's hand. Egonapa turned and collapsed in his father's arms. Shemato kon hitrafolongo e nasko hinishnado lefigito benesh ada. I cannot continue living if my mother is not here among us. Shema Selka. I shot my mother with an arrow. Hashkehilnapa held his youngest son in his arms. His son was crying, unable to speak. Egonapa's grandfather held the two men close and cried with them. When Hashkehilnapa could finally speak, he held his son tightly and thanked him for saving his mother's life. Your mother's life was spared because you shot the Ute with the arrow. If you had not shot the Ute with an arrow, he would have killed your mother with his knife, his father told him with much emotion in his voice. Egonapa's legs further gave way when he heard his mother had just been knocked out by the fall and was all right. Hashkehilnapa reported that Nananabat's buckskin blouse had been cut by the knife and she had a small cut on her back. Her scalp hurt where the enemy had pulled her hair, but she was conscious and was worried about her son. Hashkehilnapa told his son, Your mother was worried about you, so she sent me to you. Egonapa could only lean on his father for strength. He did not have the strength to go see his mother. Just knowing she was alive was enough for now. He did not want his mother to see him in such a weakened state. Hashkeh Yilnapa had not been gone long when he returned to Nenanaba. Because he had killed two men, Hashkeh Yilnapa knew he could not be near his wife. He was torn between holding her close, inspecting her body for wounds the enemy may have inflicted, and murmuring into her ear how much he loved her and how much he wanted her. Their son also could not be near his mother because he had taken a life. After the incident with the Anae Nota enemy Utes, Nananabat's father ordered his hired men to tie up the three Ute scouts, then tie their bodies to the wild horses he had been training, then lead them out and away from their home. He ordered the men to scare the horses into running toward the northern direction. The men obeyed, and soon there was no evidence of the enemy's earlier presence. Prayers were conducted and songs were sung for the duration of the night and for a few days following the incident. 
Nananabat's father came to tell Nananabat that Hashkehyelnaba and her youngest son were going to be in the Treche Swethogan because they had killed the enemy. Nahanquinzin, we want to protect you. Nidopsani Treche Nakahegodinal Ado Abik Ejit Shiranda Nasohodozil. You will also go into the sweat lodge the women use, and after that prayers will be spoken for you at my home, he said. Ninanaba wanted desperately for Hashkehilnaba to come and hold her. She also had the deep need to comfort her youngest son and thank him for saving her life. She was extremely proud of her son's courage. He did not have time to think when he killed the enemy. Her husband had trained her sons very well. Her sons were true Nabeho warriors. Ninanaba was proud of her husband and her sons. Ninanaba softly breathed. All of my children have become warriors. Although they have looked our enemy in the eye, they still have life within them. My little grandson will also be a Navajo warrior, Ninanabat reassured herself. Ninanabat's father instructed the women on preparing the sweat lodge the women use. After spending time praying and singing in the sweat lodge, Ninanaba went back to her horan. Her father came and led her out and into his horan, hogan. When Ninanaba stepped into her father's horan, hogan, she saw many women sitting on the floor. Near her sat her daughter-in-law, Tsekiz Nazba. Both women cried silent tears as each one thought of their loved ones who were far away. A bitter but sweet scent rose from the open pot that was on the hot coals in the middle of the floor. Ninanaba was asked to sit on the soft sheepskin that lay on the floor. Slowly she began to undress. Her clothes were hung on a long stick that her father held from the entrance of the Horan. Hogan. They could not see her father, but they knew he was right outside of the Hogan, Hogan holding the long stick. He took her clothes to get rid of them. Ninanaba allowed herself to be washed with the warm herbal water that sat on the hot coals. The women inspected her back and dressed it with fresh pitch from a pinyon tree. Other women were pounding yucca root so they could wash her hair with the root. Ninanaba allowed her lungs to fill with the sweet scent of the yucca soap. The women spoke prayers and sang songs for Ninanaba through the night. No one left the Hogan Hogan except to bring in firewood and water for boiling the herbs as well as yucca roots.
Each woman helped in washing Nananaba with the herbal water and washed her hair with the yucca soap. Nananabat cried silent tears throughout the night. The women listened to their kind leader's wife quietly grieving. They grieved for her too. They loved her so much, and they knew how much their kind leader loved his beautiful Nananabat. The eastern horizon nudged the sun upward in the sky, and light began to filter into the whole one. Hogan of Nananabat's father, a meal of Twishchin, blue corn mush, and a bitbenez masa, blue corn crepes, afkinil gij, soft strips of jerky, and chilahweh, Navajo tea, were brought in to feed the women. Nananabat and Sekiznazba were fed first. A rug dress and moccasins were brought in for Ninanaba. The women helped her dress and spoke more prayers for her and her daughters and her sons as well as for their leader. Ninanaba stepped out of her father's hogan, feeling as if she had been reborn. She was closely followed by Tsekiznazba, who walked her back to her hogan. Slowly they walked to Ninanabat's Holon and stepped inside. For the next few days, Ninanabat spent the time alone with her daughter-in-law who took care of her. They spent the time reminiscing about happier times. Ninanabat told her daughter-in-law about the early years of her son, Nadayanaba. As his mind began to revisit the traumatic events that occurred earlier, Hashkeh Yishnaba found himself overcome by emotion. He was very anxious to see his wife. She had been through so much agony. Toward evening, Hashkeh Yishnaba decided to visit his wife in her Hogan. Hogan. He knocked on the doorpost. Wishdent, come in, a woman said to invite him in. It was not his Nananabat's voice. Slowly he stepped in and sat down. It was not until he felt a tear drop on the back of his hand that he realized how close he came to losing the one who gave meaning to his world. His Nananabat was safe in her home. He cleared his throat, disturbing the silence, causing his wife to glance upward. Ninanabat saw the emotion in her husband's eyes. As they sat staring at one another, their eyes expressed the intimacy they could not share, and their tears mingled in the air. Tsek Iznazbat noticed the silent communication that took place between her mother-in-law and her father-in-law. Quietly, she walked to the door, lifted the thick rug that hung in the doorway, and walked back to her own hogan. hogan. Ninanabat began brushing her hair. Hashkeh Yishnaba sat cross-legged on his sheepskin as he watched his wife 
brush her hair. He noticed Ninanabat did not sing like she used to. She was so beautiful to him. He watched as her brush began at the back of her head, floated down through her strands of long black hair, caressed her right breast, her stomach, and then brushed the top of her right thigh as his wife brushed the ends of her long hair. When she had thoroughly brushed the one side, she pulled her hair to the other side, and once again he witnessed as her brush caressed parts of her body as she brushed her hair. Hashkeh Yilnaba stared at his wife with desire in his eyes and in his heart. He wanted to be beside her. He wanted her hair to caress his body as it had on so many nights before. As he breathed in deeply to control his desire, he caught the faint scent of yucca root with which Nananaba had washed her hair. Along with the scent came many memories of their intimate moments. His beautiful Nananaba was not a passive lover. She wanted pleasure and also gave pleasure. Hashkeh Yilnaba pulled his sheepskin closer to the door. He was not going to sleep outside tonight. He had a woman to protect. His heart ached as he heard his wife crying softly in her sleep during the night. He slept near the door while their son slept near him. Hashkeh Yilnaba vowed to enter the Tratche sweat lodge the next day to get a hold of his emotions. The songs and prayers would help him to realign his feelings. His emotions were stronger than his strongest enemy, but the woman who evoked the emotions was equally as strong. She was his weakness.